It's wonderful to be with you this morning. We are going to talk about the Great Commission, which is going to be common to so many of you. You've probably heard it many times. Now one more, okay? You know, it's interesting, in your church constitution and bylaws, in the event that you have not read them, it begins in uh, Article 2, it states the purpose of your church, and this is what it says. The church is organized exclusively for religious purposes. The church's mission is summarized as follows. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the Great Commission, right? Well, you know, I think that oftentimes we minimize the Great Commission and we make it so narrow that we fail to really understand what does it mean for you individually to live out the Great Commission and what does it look like in a church that is actually seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. And so it's my hope that I can broaden your perspective a bit and, and see the big picture of the Great Commission as well as the individual responsibility. In Matthew 28, 18, it begins by saying, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know, when it speaks of God's authority, I think it's important for us to understand his authority in heaven and on earth and, and what that means to us as individuals, what is his authority in my life as a believer? And the scriptures speak often to that topic. In Acts 20, 28, when the apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, folks, a verse like that's easy to read and move on. But if you're here today in this church as a true believer, it's because there was an incredible price paid to make it possible for you to be a part of this. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you're not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You guys understand that if you're a believer here today, you're not your own. Your life is not your own. Your priorities are not your own. Your choices are not your own. Your time is not your own. You've been bought with a price. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says it this way. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a, review, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So the reason that he's redeemed you, made you his, is ultimately for his glory. It's for 
his honor. It's for his exaltation. In Titus 2, verses 13 and 14, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself what? A people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. In, in other words, Individual Christians, being the possession of Almighty God, are left here on this earth so that they would be zealous to accomplish all that God intends to accomplish both in their life and through their life. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When it speaks of being God's possession, when it speaks of God's authority on the earth, heaven and earth, it includes his authority in our lives individually. And so when we come to the Great Commission, and it begins by reminding us of his authority, it's a reminder that as I walk down this path of life, God has clear intentions of what he wants to accomplish in my life, individually, personally, and through my life as I live on this earth. You know, let's remember that, that our Lord, when he comes to this passage, he is, uh, he's talking about making disciples, right? That's the imperative of the passage, the command, make disciples. But who's he speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples. So we're going to begin there this morning. I mean, truly, what is a disciple? And, and, and the question that you have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, is it's one thing to know what a disciple is, and it's another thing to be a disciple. I am convinced that there's a day that many will stand before the Lord and be able to give all the theological answers and will go to hell. Because they knew it, and Matthew 7 makes that clear. They knew it. They could describe it. They could describe the role and the responsibilities. They described the, the, all that's involved in it. But it wasn't reflected in their life. They assumed that knowing is going to satisfy God. And it's no, it's actually the transformed life is indication of the change, right? that we become, we are his disciples, we're living out the Great Commission. It's important to think about. So Jesus defines discipleship. And so I'm going to talk a lot this morning. Like you might say, go back to Colorado, but, okay? But I'm going to make it easy in this sense. There's only two words that I'm really asking you to remember, okay? But I'm going to say a whole lot more. But if you remember the two words, it will help you at least understand the context and the content of what I'm trying to communicate. Because I think that Jesus defines discipleship with two words. Follow me. Follow me. Now, we're going to think about that, because again, like anything, you can read it and go, okay. But follow me. And Matthew 4, 18 to 20, now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, 
and I will make you fishers of men. So they left their nets and they followed him. Mark 2, 13 and 14, he went out again by the seashore. All the people were coming to him and he was teaching them. And he passed, as he passed by, he saw Levi. He was sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. In John 1, 43, the next day, he purposed to go to Galilee. He found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. In Luke 9, 23, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When he said these words, no doubt the disciples were going, what exactly does that mean until they saw him on the cross? It's illustrated in Matthew 8, verses 18 and following. When Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. The idea is I'm going to wait around till my father's dead. I get the inheritance, then I'll follow you. Now, follow me. Matthew 19, 16, someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And so he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. <laughs> what am I still lacking? Jesus said, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions. Give to the poor, you have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, guys, is he saying that, you guys, if you want to follow Jesus, get rid of all your money? No, because he didn't say that to everybody. What he's saying is, if you have anything that you cherish more than God, get it out of your life. If there's anything that you love more than God, you can't follow him. In fact, we're not going to go there today because we don't have time. But you read what he says even about family. You love your kids more than God? That's a problem. You love your spouse more than God? That's a problem. And here's the truth. The only way you will ever love those people the way you should is when you love God supremely. That's the only way. And when you love God supremely, you will trust him with your children. You will trust him with your spouse. Now, do, does that mean everything's going to turn out the way that you think you would like it to turn out? Well, my first wife's with Jesus. Turned out great for her. <laughs> it's a little rough for me. I'm married today to a gal who was single her whole life. She came into my life. She has two kids and ten grandkids now. Rocked her world. You guys, when we talk about loving God supremely, it means we trust him with everything in this life. There's not a place to question his goodness to us. He is good, always good. And so when he says to this man, get rid of your possessions, this man's possessions were important to him. And you guys, as Christians, you need to understand that there are often things in our lives that are not inherently sinful. 
and yet they absorb priorities in our life. They absorb time in our life, so much so that we can't be all that we should be when it comes to being Christians, studying God's word, serving God, because of these other things. And it's God's saying, you're going to follow me. When I say deny myself, he, I don't believe he's saying just deny yourself all sinful pleasure. That's obvious. He's saying be willing to let go of anything, anything, even good things, that get in the way of being a disciple. Anything. You know, the, the interaction Peter had with Jesus after the resurrection, you know, Peter went down a bit of a rough road there, right? And in John 21, 18 and following, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself. He, Jesus is telling Peter what's coming. You used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. How do you like to hear those words about follow Jesus? Huh? And then he goes on. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And he, when he's spoken this, he says to Peter, Yes. Follow me. Is that the message you want to hear? Is that what Christianity is to you? Because that's what it was for Peter. Peter, in his classic way, turned around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? What about John? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is not about the path I take Ace down or I take Rocky down. Or who I, this is about you and God, the path he has for you. In John 8, 12, Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's the evidence of being a disciple. John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor me, will honor him. So when you think about follow me, I think they actually imply three significant biblical principles. When you think about this, right? So you're walking kind of down your own road in life, right? God opens your eyes to the truth. Because you'd never choose God on your own. He gives you understanding into his truth. And, and you repent of your sin, which is to turn, and you turn to Christ. Follow me, right? You were going your own way. Now you're following him. You've turned. It implies faith, belief, because are you going to follow him if you don't believe in him and believe in the truth that he's given? Of course not. I mean, if I said to you guys, I'm leaving for Colorado tomorrow, I want you to follow me, you'd look at me and say, you've lost your mind. There's no way. I don't even know you. Plus, I don't want to live at 9,000 feet. I mean, you, you think that, but you guys, he's saying, Jesus is saying, follow him. And so when you choose to follow him, you're, you're demonstrating that you've turned from your own life and you've turned in belief in who he is and wherever he's going to lead you. And it also implies lordship, doesn't it? Submission. And you guys, I've often said the Christian life is simple in many ways. If you ever disagree with God, you are always wrong. 
And God is always right. Cool. Isn't it simple? You read it and you go, yeah, but that really, I don't know about that. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> God's right. Well, I don't understand it. I say, yeah, you're not God. In fact, not even close, right? I mean, that's the Christian life. And so when he says, follow me, it's to turn to follow him. It's to believe and trust him. And then it's to live in submission to him. Folks, that is a disciple. That is what a disciple is. And, and believe me, the issue is not whether you can define what a disciple is. The real issue is if you're, you are a disciple, right? You know, that's why the Matthew passage, you know, Lord, Lord, Master, Master. Well, you can call him Master all day long. I've always told people, you, you can call yourself a Christian. You can call yourself a disciple. You can call him Lord, Master. But if he doesn't call you his child, you're in big trouble. Okay? And so the reality of it is demonstrated in a changed life. Why? Because when a person truly comes to faith, they, the Holy Spirit indwells them. They're a new person, a new creation. And so it's so important to understand that when the commission is given, the Great Commission, it's given to disciples. And so you can hear it, but if you're not a disciple, there's no way individual you can accomplish the Great Commission. Disciples are essential to accomplish the Great Commission. In 1 John 2, 6, it it says this, the, the one who says he abides in Christ ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And so that's a picture of those who desire to please God. It's that we want to walk in the same pattern as he walked. You know, when you think of discipleship, disciples are those who love God and love his word. They love God and love his word. The, the word is a priority. It's not a, an oppressive obedience. Oh, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible. It's God's word. The creator of the universe gave us his truth. You know, I, I used to try to convince people, okay, you know, yeah, I'm struggling with it. It's like, well, I'd try to say, try, figure out time, get up early. Today. I gave up on all of that. I told the men this yesterday. <laughs> what I said is, okay, you struggling with time? First of all, let's deal with the issue that there are other things that you love that are more important to you. Okay? There are other things that you love more. So let's just be honest, it's not an issue of time, it's an issue of love. And then, if you really want to learn to love God well, then look at your schedule and remove everything that you can to get it out of the way to make you sure you can establish good priorities. Because my bet is you could call a lot of stuff and have more time than you ever imagined. But you guys, to be a disciple, love God, love his word, love people, love the church, serve in the church. John 8, 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. Why? If you have love for one another. That's why the person that calls, says they, you know, they're Christian, they come into church, they sit, they isolate, they hide, they run. It may be religion, but it's not Christianity. Okay. John 15, 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let me just say a word about bearing much fruit. First, it doesn't take a magnifying glass. 
much fruit. Secondly, it's not that you have to work on bearing the fruit. So if you think of a, I don't know what you guys grow around here, but let's just talk fruit trees, okay? We're good there? All right. Uh, you guys, you ever sit out in, a, in an orchard and listen to the trees struggle to bear fruit? No. No. You guys, as long as there's water, nutrients, soil, sun, those essential things, it bears fruit. And in the Christian life, John 15 says, when you abide in Christ, when you're rooted in Christ and you love Christ and you learn from Christ and you walk with Christ, you will bear much fruit. That's the natural result of walking with Christ. So as a disciple, you will be living in such a way that others can follow your pattern of life. And they would also then be a disciple. In other words, other people should be able to follow you out of this church into your car, okay? Follow you to your house and watch how things go there between husband and wife or kids or grandkids or whatever in the world it is. Follow you to work and learn from you what it means to be a disciple, right? Because he's speaking to disciples and ultimately it's going to be so that as disciples, other people can come to Christ. Follow your example in every respect and be a disciple. You know, when the Apostle Paul says, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ, he, he's not saying he's living perfect. But even in his sin, he's quick to confess because he wants to walk with God, right? He's setting a right pattern of life. Let me just say, as a side note, you guys, you understand that for elders in the church, they're supposed to meet specific qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Elder qualifications, are you aware of that? Well, are you aware of the fact that elder qualifications, for the most part, are Christian qualifications? The elder qualifications are not so you can say, well, these are the elders, but we can be here. <laughs> no, they, they're supposed to meet the elder qualifications so that they can be an example, First Peter says, 5, so that the church can follow their example so that we all demonstrate those qualifications, right? And see, that's what's demonstrated in discipleship. So the Great Commission, that was quite an introduction, sorry, but the, if you don't get that, the rest of it means nothing. Okay? means that we can talk about the Great Commission as though it's just like just evangelism. No, it's, you're being a disciple. You're living as a disciple. And now begins the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so it says, go there and make disciples of all nations. And it goes on, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, now you guys, we've often applied this to the missionaries, but you guys, this is a, 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 this is a charge to disciples everywhere. And, and the idea is that our responsibility ultimately is going to be now to make disciples, which requires evangelism, right? I mean, a Christian and a disciple are the same thing. And so as you evangelize, they begin the journey, and then they have to be trained for the journey. But it has to begin with evangelism. It, we, we have to be willing to go out and, and communicate the truth of God's word. 
Now, my guess is, if I ask you, does the Bible teach us that we need to be sharing the gospel? I could get a hearty amen. But the real question is, are we? Are you as an individual sharing the gospel? And you guys, there's a couple of dangers where a person says, men, if you're here yesterday, sorry, you're going to hear it again. Where it's easy to say, well, you know, I'm just not that kind of person that can engage in conversation like that. I just demonstrate Christ in my life. Well, if that's all you have to offer people, I'm telling you, they're going to all go to hell. Sorry. Because if they don't hear the message of the gospel, they're not going to know how to come to Christ. How will they hear unless they are told? Don't get me wrong. We need to live out the gospel. But don't ever think that satisfies your role in the Great Commission. We have to speak the gospel. And, and folks, the truth is, okay, here's a question. Legitimate. I'll tell you if I'm asking a trick question so you don't have to answer Do you believe that God has divine, if you're a believer here today, you've repented of your sin, you've turned to Christ in faith. Do you believe God has divine appointments for you every day? I'm looking for a response on this one. Mm, yeah, pretty much. You guys, I believe so, right? He left us here, why? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, so we would be ambassadors of Christ, of Christ, begging people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's why we're here. And you guys, the truth is, I mean, if you, if you go out and, and you share on a Friday night and stuff like that, that's fine. But I'm talking just day-to-day -day life. You know, the, the Apostle Paul said, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. I think there's vastly more opportunities for gospel ministry than, than we ever imagine if we would just open our eyes, wake up in the morning, and think about it. You know, we can wake up on Monday morning and know that, okay, I'm going to work, I've got these appointments, or I, I'm going to go to the grocery store, I'm meeting with these people, I'm doing all of these things, and, and it's easy to get in that routine. Monday goes by, Tuesday, and we have all of these things we know we're going to do. But you guys, the question in the morning when you begin your, your time in the Word and prayer is to say, God, this is what's on my schedule. But I'm confident that there are things on my schedule that you intend to accomplish eternal purposes in. So that as I walk to that meeting, I may think it's a business meeting, but you know what? It may be a gospel meeting. When I'm driving down the road and I get somebody bumps into the back of me, or I bump in the back of somebody else, we call it an accident. But you're actually going to meet somebody you didn't plan on meeting. Could that be a divine appointment? How about the guy that needs a job? Remember a guy I met with, and he's like, Rock, I've had gone to like 18 interviews, nothing. I said, well, you know what? As hard as this might be for you to imagine, those guys that you interviewed with might be in far worse condition than you. Could those be gospel opportunities? Could they be? How about those medical things, right? You guys, I've lived in the hospitals for a long time with my first wife. In fact, we sang 10,000 Reasons. We sang the editor's service. Sometimes those songs are easier to sing than they are to live, folks. Right? 
But you guys in the hospital, it's not all about us or you. We tend to get consumed with circumstances as though it's all about us. Folks, God's intentional. And if that's where he's taken you, you can believe there's going to be opportunities for the gospel. But if all you can think about is what's going to happen to you or the complications in your life, you will waste your pain. You'll waste it. You guys, opportunities abound. You have somebody in the nursing home. You say, Rock, how could God leave them there? I mean, they can't even talk or anything. And it's like, well, maybe it's for your testimony down there. As you go and you show them the love of Christ. I'm telling you guys, I've talked to people that are dying in a hospital. And if they have the ability to think and talk, I'll tell them, listen, you know, you're on limited time. But that custodian that walks in your door, that nurse that walks in your door, that technician that walks in your door, they may be in far worse condition than you are. Don't waste these last days. Don't waste them. You see, you guys, the Great Commission is intended to be fulfilled in normal life. God will orchestrate the circumstances. Those that are enjoyable, those that are more difficult. But he will always orchestrate them to fulfill his eternal purposes. But church, are we ready? Are our eyes open? Do we see people like God sees them? Do we have compassion? You, I get it. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I don't know how to start. The, I get all of that. But that's why Acts 1.8 says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses wherever you go in this world. Because it's not your power. It's not your ability. You know, you ever hear somebody say, yeah, I went out and I saved 10 people. Today. You didn't save anybody. <laughs> you know, I mean, unless you grabbed them out from in front of a car. Okay, I'll give you that one. <laughs> Only God saves. We share the message. We share the message. That's what we do. You say, well, what do I share? It's like, well, if you're a Christian, you know what to share. If you don't know what to share, we need to talk, okay? And so divine appointments are everywhere. It's waking up in the morning, say, God, please give me eyes to see. Please help me to be alert to opportunities, and please give me the courage to open my mouth and share. You know, so often the prayer meetings of the church, I'm not saying it's here, I'm not setting on one, I'm just saying that so often the prayer meetings of the church are are kind of all consumed with health and, and trips and, you know, those physical things. And, and I'm not saying we can't pray for those things. I mean, I, I, I get it. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. But you, you guys, really, look at the prayers of Scripture. If you're going to pray for physical things, you've got to connect it to spiritual things. In other words, safe trip? How about fruitful trip? Safe would be nice. Okay. But as you're traveling, to see opportunities for ministry and take advantage of them. People sick, that's great. Pray for their health. There's nothing wrong with that. But pray that in the midst of their illness, if they're not in Christ, they'll come to Christ. If they're Christian, pray that they'll use the opportunities that they have, even in the midst of the darkness, to share the truth of the gospel. You guys, everything for the Christians should revolve around those kinds of spiritual Priorities. I don't want to make you nervous about sharing prayer requests. All I'm saying is think spiritual, not just physical.
put them together, okay? Put them together. And so at the end of the day, if as a church, as disciples of Christ, we walk out these doors and we begin to look for those opportunities, I'm telling you, when you have those little meetings and you start talking and sharing, you start hearing, hey, you know what? I had the opportunity. I was in a grocery store, strangest thing, you know, and I got talking to this person and they were in the midst of really hard time and I got to begin to share the gospel. Would you pray for so-and-so? And well, you know what? I had family over and I had the opportunity, you know, and we start actually thinking and praying about spiritual priorities. And then we begin to see people who, who God has saved because of our testimony. You know, it's easy to think that, well, yeah, this doesn't seem like God's saving anybody. I think we need to start thinking about, am I sharing with anybody? We're here to train to go out, make a difference. And you, I'm telling you, as the disciples of the church begin to do those priorities, one, all the petty things in the church go away. Come on. <laughs> you know, come on. And the other thing, just as a reminder, this is a battlefield, just saying. You know, if you're one of those feel good, the church is a hard place, I don't want that, I'm going to go home. It's like, read your Bible. Peter says, beloved, remember Peter's the guy that said, Lord, God forbid that this would happen to you, that you would suffer and go to the cross. Then read First Peter, lessons learned. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you as though some strange thing were happening to you. <laughs> He got it. It's a war zone. Here to represent God, Christ. And so we must be faithful. So, so now that we've got that first part, right? He's speaking to disciples. Now disciples, it, 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 it does, it, this is not, doesn't start with the general whole. It starts with individuals in the church. Disciples now are committed to going out, seeking to share the gospel so that we can make more disciples. People come to faith, now they come into the church, and remember, they can follow your example anywhere and learn what it means to be a Christian in marriage, at home, at work, everywhere, because you're determined to live in such a way that they can follow your example. And so now they come in, and, and, and they're obedient in baptism, right? Because they want to acknowledge to the church that I have come to Christ. They want their family. They want people to know I identify with Christ. In our culture, that's kind of a soft thing. In a lot of cultures, you may die for doing that, right? You will certainly lose your families. And so it's a step of obedience. In our country, it's, it's interesting that, that people come to faith and you say, once you share your testimony at your baptism, they're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. It's like, well, in other countries, they're going to lose their families. We don't want to share what God has done. I don't know. So they come into the church, and now the church systematically teaches the Word of God to train people. I thought that the Apostle Paul says it well in Acts 20, 27, when he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I would tell you that I think the church is uh, in many, I'm talking church generally, but I'm always talking evangelical church when I talk. I don't consider those others real churches, okay? So I'm just talking evangelical church. You guys, I, I would say that in a general way, the evangelical church has become very intellectually lazy when it comes to the Bible, okay? And, and you guys, we all need to be students of the Bible. Students! I'm not talking devotional Christianity. I'm talking students. Study to show yourself approved. 
So it's, it's a sad thing, and maybe of interest to you, but, but you guys, uh, in the evangelical church today, you know most churches actually never, ever disciple a man to be a pastor? Most churches never, ever disciple a person to be a missionary, man or woman? Most churches don't have any clear path to train people to be elders? Is that shocking to you? I think it's shocking. We've passed it off. I'm not anti-academics. I'm not anti-seminar. I'm saying it's the church's primary role to train. You can use resources, but you can't pass it off. And when we started doing that, the church became softer and softer and softer and not well-developed theologically. Listen, folks, not only do you want to be able to affirm your doctrinal statement, it would be great if you could defend it. We're a culture that says, oh, why do we believe the Trinity? Go ask Pastor Ace. He knows. Really? We want people, we're, we're commanded to teach the whole counsel of God. And I'm not saying you're one standing up here teaching, but, but it ought to be important to you to know it. And then to share it when you have opportunities. So when people see your life, they see how important it is to understand theology. How important it is to retain Bible knowledge. Those are critical things. Praise God, you're in a place where a man takes seriously the teaching of God's word. And he's not going to always be popular. I know it's going to shock you, but I actually have people who don't like me. <laughs> I remember somebody asked me, Rock, how do you deal with that when people don't like you? I said, it used to bother me a lot, a lot. Then there got to be so many, it kind of diffused them all. <laughs> In the teaching, all that God has commanded, then the idea is that we're equipping the saints for the work of service, Right? In other words, as people come in, as they are obedient in baptism, as they're beginning to be taught all that God has commanded, that's why you can't send a missionary out and say, as long as you know the gospel, you can do your job. Missionaries should be elder qualified, elder equipped, and able to train other elders if they're going to do church planning. But they almost never are. Okay? But we, we have to equip people. We have to equip teachers. We have to equip deacons and elders. And, and we need to train men to be pastors and men and women to be missionaries. Train them practically. Train them theologically. That can all be done in the church. That's the Great Commission. We don't go part way and stop and then pass it all off. No, 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 no. So, the Great Commission is demonstrated in the book of Acts. All right? So, I'm going to go kind of quickly because I have no idea when I'm supposed to be done, brother. <laughs> but I, I'll, go, I'll go kind of quickly. But I do want to show you some things in the book of Acts that I think are so helpful. So we're just going to kind of quick overview as far as what does the Great Commission look like once they start moving with it. Well, you guys, first of all, and, and I'm just going to talk my topics here a bit, all right? Evangelism, right? As the disciples are following Christ, now they're obedient to Christ as disciples, and they begin to share the gospel, and people begin to understand that the gospel is for everybody, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, young and old. And the apostles begin proclaiming the message of a risen Savior. And the response is significant. Thousands believe. I've got all the reference. I'm not going to read the book of Acts, okay? Because if I go through all of those, I'm gonna, we're going to not make it, okay? But I'm telling you, thousands of people begin to believe, right? Right? 
You see that? Acts 2, Acts 3, it just began the progression. People are responding to the gospel. And it's interesting, when, when the religious leaders looked at the disciples, you remember how they described them? They described them as uneducated men, uneducated and untrained men. Why? Because they weren't trained according to the rabbinic tradition. Were they trained? <laughs> they were trained by the master. They were well-trained and well-equipped for the ministry they have. And you guys, I think we have to be careful today that we don't just start thinking everything's got to be mimicked. We've got to mimic how the world does things. Churches train leaders. Pastors and elders disciple pastors, elders to the same title. Okay? That's the way that it works. And again, I'm not saying you can't use resource. You can't pass it off. But those guys, man, they've been equipped for the ministry. Suffering. Suffering. I mean, if you think the Christian life is not to be a life of suffering, you're just terribly misguided. If, if you don't think that the church is going to have issues and battles, you're terribly misguided. <laughs> it's a battle, right? We are fighting an enemy. And, and if you don't think that's true, read the words of, of Paul in Acts chapter 20 when he talks about it. Read the words of the Apostle John in, in 1 John, I think, chapter 2. They went out from us because they were not really... I mean, you guys, it's all over the Bible. It's a battlefield, and there's going to be suffering associated with it. Throughout the book of Acts, the disciples faithfully preach the word and are consistently opposed. The threats... Listen to this. The threats and the beatings only made them more determined to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Uh-huh. You hear that? The threats and the beatings motivated them. It did not discourage them. Big difference. In a soft culture, it's like, oh, I want that. I don't, you know. It motivated them. We're in a battle. Okay? And all of the... The, the, <laughs> the different explosions going on. Just a reminder that we're in a battle. You guys, you don't want your military to start pulling back because they're in a battle. They know they're in a battle. That's why they're there. Fight on. Paul says, fight the good fight. Leadership development. So here, if you look through the book of Acts, and this I'm just going to touch on quickly because you can see it. But, it. but it's interesting. When you look at the book of Acts and watch People coming to know the Lord in large groups, and, and it's spreading, okay, to all of the different areas, known areas at that time, and churches are being formed. But you guys, it's interesting as you read through it, did the churches have leadership? Yep. How did they have leadership? Well, they're fulfilling the Great Commission. So what are they doing? People are coming to Christ. They're teaching them all that God has commanded. They're equipping them to do the work of service. So if you will, I don't, this is not my favorite word, but, but organically, as the church is fulfilling its commission, leaders are developed. Elders are available now to lead churches. Preachers are developed. Deacons are, you know, Acts 6. You know, they needed men to help serve tables, right? And, and, and so they select seven men of good reputation. And of those seven men, you guys, one of them was Stephen. Was he a preacher? Oh, man. Just not for very long. Because they killed him. 
Philip was serving tables, and then he ends up as an evangelist out proclaiming the gospel all over the place. You guys, when you see the leaders in the, in the book of Acts, you notice one thing about them? They always have somebody with them. Almost always. Why? Because they're constantly training other people to be leaders. That's where you get Timothy, and that's where you get Titus, and, and Barnabas and Paul were involved in training. And you guys, you see people all over. You see names of people that become leaders. And they say, oh, we, have, we appointed elders here, and we appointed elders there, and we met with the elders in Jerusalem. I'm just telling you, when the Great Commission is truly accomplished, it's because there are disciples in the church, and because they're disciples, they are making disciples. They are part of the process. People come to faith. In the church, they're being equipped so that they know the truth of God's word. They understand Bible knowledge and theology. They are equipped, Ephesians 4 says, uh, that we're equipping them for the work of service. So they're learning to serve well in the body of Christ. And in that process, they're going to be people that are trained here. They're going to help, because this church has grown, huh? There's been some neat things in this church. Young church, not without challenges. You guys, everywhere I go, there's challenges, right? If you want to sit down and talk about it, I'll just talk about maybe the last three churches I was at. But you look and you recognize there's needs and opportunities. And, and some of you are going to be raised up and you're so good in children's ministry. And I love kids, but I mean, and I enjoy, I thoroughly enjoy them. But, but some of y'all are really good at it. I, I'm more wild. You know, and it's like, that doesn't help us stirring things up. But some of you can teach those little ones and you're so good. I'm guessing this room didn't have chairs this morning early, but I'm not sure. Maybe yesterday. I'm guessing somebody came down and set these chairs up, which is very convenient for when you get here. I saw one of my favorite meals here this morning, donuts. <laughs> somebody's picking those up. And then somebody's working on leadership to preach and to teach. People are helping with finance. And you guys, that's the body of Christ working. But all of us then that are in Christ are disciples leaving this place to proclaim the message. Why did God save you out of darkness into his marvelous light? So that you would proclaim the excellencies of him. And as we do that, the Great Commission begins its process and unbelievers come in. And you guys, your shared time should be consumed with this person I'm praying for, that person I'm praying for. This person who's come to faith, this person I'm taking the lunch to share with, you guys, you just never know where the opportunities are. And in fact, where I live, I live in a pretty remote area way up in the mountains, uh, and, and I'm involved in a small mountain church. But you would be shocked how many times we're walking on a trail and run into somebody, and we can start a spiritual conversation. Right in the middle of the nowhere. You know, people say, well, I worship in the mountains. Yeah, but that's the creation. I want to talk to you about the creator. <laughs> Right? That's who we worship. It's a big deal. And so, I really don't mean to beat you up. I mean to encourage and challenge you. That I think the church in our culture has gotten pretty soft. And I think that's a serious problem. And I'll be really frank with you. I think that there's a lot of people in the church who think because they can answer the Bible questions that that makes them saved. And I'm just telling you, the worst deception that I can imagine is self-deception. 
to think that I'm saved because I know the Bible answers, but I'm not living out the life as God has intended. And so if you're here and you know those answers, but you look at your life and say, phew, that's not me, I would beg you to bow your knee, turn from your sin and turn to Christ and let him make you a new person with new priorities and new hope and new purpose. If you're somebody and you know the truth, and you're kind of living it out, but you go, mm, probably not to the degree I should, I would just encourage you to evaluate your life. If there are things that you just need to get rid of so you can establish good priorities, I've found that it's much easier to get rid of things to establish good priorities than to try to just kind of develop good priorities over your habits. It's easier to just get rid of things for a while and, and do that and then say, God, help me to be able to see people, see you, see life, see the church like you see it, so I could be obedient. And then if you're one of those people that the Lord is just really going to continue to work and, and you're walking faithfully, I would just say, don't grow weary in well-doing. In Hebrews 12, it says, Consider him Jesus, who endured such hostility of sinners against himself, lest you grow weary and lose heart. Folks, don't lose heart. We are a privileged people to know the living God and to serve him. Serve him well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for your grace. It's just inconceivable, your great love, that you would give your enemies hope through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that you're willing to work with us in our struggles, in our failures, in our sin. You're so patient. You are so patient. But Heavenly Father, I pray that we would not take advantage of your patience and live carelessly. Help us, God, to recognize areas where we need to change, where we need to confess sin, where we can walk more faithfully with you. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to make the decisions that would help us to live like that, knowing that, God, we, we long for heaven, but we want to serve you well here. We want to finish the works that you've given to us to do, and, and, and Lord, help us to do that. And then, Lord, as we do that individually, I just pray that you would continue to strengthen this church, to bless this church, to raise up leaders in this church. God, I, I pray that you'd raise up deacons and elders and women to help lead people who are theologically sound, who, who have spiritual priorities. I, I pray, God, that this church would be a place where where men are trained to be pastors and missionaries are trained and sent out, where one day maybe even this church is doing church planting in this dark world. God, there's so many possibilities as we fulfill the Great Commission, and might this church be rich in its service for you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.